Welcome to the Mindfulness of Singing, and I'm Denise, your sassy, spunky scientist. And I'm Tony, your bubbly, big-hearted flower child. Our podcast features practical tips and tools for a journey of transformation using the healing power of your voice. Each podcast, we will delve into the mind, body, and spirit connection by interviewing inspirational guests, sharing personal stories, and discussing the most recent scientific research. Tune in and join our community of mindful singers. Hi, Tony. How are you today? Good morning, Denise. I'm great. I'm excited and looking forward to meeting our guest this morning. It's going to be pretty interesting to hear her story, I'm sure. Right. This is a little unusual for us, this particular kind of guest. Yes, indeed. Um, and did you know, by the way, Denise, that March, the end of March, is the annual International Bird Review Board Committee. Did you know that happens at the end of Were you aware? Bird review? I don't know what that means. Like, well, are you talking about they look at all the birds in North America and review them? Like, give them, do they get a grade? Is it a jury? Are they you're singing? On well? the right track, Denise. A committee of five people, every bird throughout the land who wants to sing in the forest in the coming year must sing for this committee, and they decide who gets to sing. Only five people. And sometimes they'll say, you know, that bird tweets too high, that bird tweets too low. That, what the hell are you talking about? It's a joke, Denise, of course. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So, people, you have to understand that this is coming from my friend who is really literal and seldom tells a joke. So when she starts telling me something, I assume right away that it's literal and that it's not a joke because that's, that's not generally who she is. Yes. And that's why I wanted to throw now, you off. If it had been turned around, I would have, she would have known, well, she probably wouldn't have known, but I, I would be, normally I'd be the one telling the, the joke. Yes. Well, not really a joke, but it's really just to kind of make us think about the fact. That's how my excuse for not catching on. I, that's I, I'm okay. Sorry. It's a good one. It, it's true. <laughs> but it's, it's so ridiculous to think that we would have a committee of people who would get to decide, decide committee of birds. We get to decide who gets to sing. Unfortunately, life allow that committee of to decide in some ways who gets to sing. And we decide as a culture what is good, what is beautiful. And um, I just think if every bird in the forest had to meet a standard, how many birds would stop singing and how much would be lost in the woods or the forest? Which brings me to two, two quotes I want to share and then a segue into why this is why I'm sharing this this morning. Okay. Can you thought if you can. If the best birds sang, the forest would be silent, Henry Van Dyke. And another one, I want to sing like the birds sing, not worrying about who hears or think, Rumi. And so just a little teaser for our coming guest who had a career in interior design and later in life in a time when no one would say you should go and get a different degree she decided to pick up and sing again she did sing as a child and comes from a family of acclaimed musicians and I really want her to tell the story but it just made me think this morning about the whole idea I had a story brewing in my mind long ago about the International Association of Bird Review Committee um so well oh, oh okay but I, I okay so I, I just have to play the devil's advocate a little bit here because you know that's how I am I'm a contrarian of course but that five bird review yes is it, it is not a, a review of all birds around the uh, around the world they are a review they are um given the job of reviewing those birds that want to be paid to sing. Oh, contraire. Now I'm going to be contrary to you. 
sometimes it's the ones that are paid to sing and sometimes that whether you're even worthy to just do it for yourself a cultural norm of no you shouldn't open your so mouth. you're not literally speaking about juries are you no no ah okay broader bigger picture bigger general just imagine you're talking about the five the well because you said the five people board review that that conjured juries to me and i happen to think that juries are not a necessary part of a major of of being a music major but there are some things about it that certainly could improve and certainly i think um uh lots of considerations should be made when there's jury and that's a whole other conversation but if you're talking about like just I would have gotten that if you'd said all the birds are going to get together and they're going to all decide who should sing and who shouldn't. Then now you're talking about society at large, uh, the bigger picture. Um, yeah, sure, 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 Lot sure. Bigger, broader. I wasn't thinking that I wasn't thinking from a, obviously you would think of it through a university setting, but I'm thinking more life, more in reference to our guest, who her name is Kira Braun who has decided to, and is quite well, uh, taking a different path and doing exceedingly well. And so, um, yeah, I, and I guess the, I threw in the five because sometimes that's the committee of the five people we hold most dear, our thoughts of who, or even also the- So like mom and dad and brother, sister, or cousin, or aunt, or whoever, whoever these five people that Fair way. Opinion, whose opinion you value or put a lot of weight in. Okay, fair enough. I get that. Yeah, and I'm not talking about having a career. I'm just sing for your soul. When I yeah. was, was researching Kara, he said, I'm the happiest when I'm singing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And our first guest made a comment that we both have re made reference to when did you stop singing? Because children sing, baby, you know, we make all these sounds, but somehow we learn through the committee of five, through life in a broader picture that we're not meant to sing because we don't sing in this way or that way or whatever. Um, so yeah, sing for your own soul and sing, and I'm preaching to myself here too, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, I love that Rumi quote. It's not one that I was familiar with until a few months ago and I think it's beautiful. And it is actually a reference to a broader idea too of not just singing, but do what speaks to your heart, not caring what others think. And uh, Kira did make a mention that coming from this broad family of singers, not just her intimate family, all being professional musicians, that she was not encouraged to go down that path. And yet she's thrilled to finally be pursuing her dreams and doing quite well, so. That's, that's what was on my mind this morning. Mm. Well, I like it. I think it's, I think it's a good example of um, how we let the other birds bully us into staying in our lane, which you and I've talked about a lot. Like people don't like it when you get out of your lane, stay in your lane. Don't do anything new. Don't do anything different. How boring is that? How rich is that? How we've given you this narrative. Now you follow that narrative. That, oh, yeah. Now you're catching my bird metaphor. You know, I think in stories and I probably should have set this up that this is a Tony thing and you would have known exactly that I wasn't being literal, but I was trying to trick you and I did. <laughs> yes, you did because you don't normally tell jokes. So I'm normally not that. I'm usually the funniest when I'm not trying to be funny. People are cracking up and I wasn't even trying to be funny. That's usually how that works. But. <laughs> well, I shouldn't call it a joke. It's a metaphor. Yeah. It, it, sometimes you, so, well, it wouldn't be fair to say that you don't do metaphors because sometimes yeah, yeah. you do, but they, but they have to be your metaphor. Yeah. That, and if I, there's somebody else's metaphor, you're like, wait, is that, are they serious? Is that a, are they being real right now? Really? And I'm like, no, Tony, it's, it's figurative. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I do like 
I really like stories to teach, and I think there's it's there's a lot of depth in thinking in that way. So, absolutely, absolutely, and you're good at it. So, well, thank you. Um, well, since we have just a few more more minutes before Kara arrives, I'll tell you another thing. Um, my brilliant friend Denise, I have been struggling some with Zoom calls, and I was delighted this week to get a speech in Italy. Woohoo! And I'm always frequently tired, very vocally tired afterwards. And Denise has so kindly, in her Denise way, let me know that sometimes I'm screaming at her. And here we are all the time talking about breathe through your nose, quiet breaths. And I find that the distance and the camera and the Zoom fatigue, I have vocal Zoom fatigue issues. But A lot of people do. You're not, the, you're not alone. A lot of speech language pathology practitioners that I know have said that their 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 um, practices have boomed because people are and on Zoom and and what happens is people think oh this is really far away I can't see you know especially if they don't have a setup like you you know like I do where they can see the they can see it it's in their peripheral vision the microphone but they know the microphone somewhere. They don't really know where it's on their computer. So they end up talking like this for an entire Zoom meeting. And you're like, whoa, you know, calm down. I can hear you just fine. So uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a mind thing and it's, it's a perspective and perception thing. I knew being very literal, right? Yes. You know that literally people are really far away. They're in Italy. I need to talk loud. Or how about matching the Italians because they are loud talkers. And so much energy. But what I found that helped this week was I would breathe through my nose trying to even is I think about that for singing, you know, when I have a place that I can. And so yeah, it, it yes. made a difference. So oh. I hope, I, I hope my listeners hear me being a little more mellow too. And I, I didn't get a chance to sing or, or even vocalize with a straw or do anything before we came on. So my voice is still asleep a bit because I've been typing away mm -hmm. on a project, but. Mm -hmm. And notice she's sitting back in her chair and not right up in the screen too. She's sitting back, she's relaxed. That really also helps the, the Zoom um, world. And. And Zoom is designed to um, pick up on your most most video kind of things like this, you know, that are out there in the world. Mm -hmm. They're they're meant to um, uh, make the microphone get more. Um, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? Be be more um, sensitive and then back out. It, it has this built-in protection so that the quality of sound is a certain way. So you don't have to worry about speaking over, over something or being extra loud, or if you're soft that they're not gonna hear you. The, the microphone should, and Zoom should pick you up anyway because it's gonna increase its sensitivity as you get softer, it will decrease its sensitivity as you get louder. It's one of the reasons why trying to teach a voice lesson through it is sometimes frustrating because of that. Well, our guest is here. Good morning, Kara. Can you hear us? <laughs> Hello. Hello. Welcome all the way from Canada. Thank you. How are you today? Fantastic. Are you in Toronto? I am. Yes. I, I love Toronto. I love Toronto. I've got my uh, Canadian Tim Hortons. Oh, Tim Hortons, of course. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The Canadian Starbucks. That's right. And I know a lot of, a lot of people feel that that's an insult. They're like, it's not. It's not like Starbucks. Don't say that. It's a lot cheaper, actually. <laughs> yeah, that too. Well, I don't know if you compare Canadian dollars to American dollars. I don't, I don't know. Is it what did that cost you? Oh, a dollar sixty Canadian. So, 
Uh, yeah. Like three bucks, right? In the US yeah. Dollars. yeah. Yeah. It's cheaper. Uh, so do you know Shannon Coates? I do. Yes. Shannon is a lovely friend of mine and she has been my teacher a few times and uh, I know that she's part of Nats, which is our teaching association and uh, I guess you are too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've uh, actually, Shannon just lives 10 minutes from me here. So I've popped Aww. down to her house for some lessons and I've also done a few Zoom classes with her too, just one-on-one. -on -one. I yeah. love, I love her. I adore her. I consider her part of the inner circle. Oh, she's truly amazing. And every single time that I work with her, she has something new to help me find in my voice and uh, she's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're excited to hear about your interesting story. So you tell, so we're going to let you tell it, tell us, <laughs> tell the story about my singing. Well, I began singing when I was a little kid, maybe eight years old, and I got popped into a professional children's chorus at that age. It was in Toronto downtown and they were the Canadian Children's Opera Chorus. So they're um, affiliated with the opera company and whenever there's a children's chorus they bring the kids on in. So it was a wonderful experience for me not only because of the opera that I was able to be part of and, and sadly I was only part of one opera because I think I was in the choir for three years or three to four years and then we had to move away. But the other works that we did were equally as challenging and fun and interesting and uh, we always had to memorize our music or for the most part we would memorize it. And so, you know, it was it was something more than just a children's choir in the sense of the discipline that we had to really learn and stick to. And we had some pretty, uh, you know, rigid choir directors too, who pulled the best out of us every single time. They were fearsome in the sense that we didn't dare step out of line or speak when he was dealing with another section or anything like that. We were very good. <laughs> I think I may have been called out once or twice for my chit chat, but for the most part, we. <laughs> we really, uh, we, we listened and we learned so, so much. That was Dr. Derek Holman, who was the choir director at the time when I was in that choir. And they're still around. It's the Canadian Children's Opera Company now, and they're still part of the Canadian Opera Company. So they're, they're a fixture in the, in the children's choruses of Canada. They're one of the best ones. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I guess before that though, uh, the way that I grew up was in immersed in music and my mother is a flute player. She's retired now, but she was a professional flute player and she was in the symphony in Niagara in St. Catharines. Um, I would get dragged to all of her rehearsals and performances and all over the place. So I caught a lot of that music growing up and was never really exposed to any pop music or any television until maybe I was in grade seven. So that's a long time of being immersed in classical music and really hearing nothing else. I took violin as a kid. I took piano. I never did any conservatory exams or anything like that, but I was playing around the grade eight level. Uh, if I look back at the music that I, that I used to know, it was at least at that level. And I had a wonderful teacher, Claire Snolton Hoffler was my teacher in Toronto, lovely lady. And, um, but then we moved because of my mom's job in the symphony in Niagara, we moved from Toronto down to Niagara. And, uh, I, I had to begin again, just in terms of oh, making friends and finding a musical outlet. And um, I was fortunate to get into a great 
a church choir. So I spent four or five years in a wonderful Anglican church choir. And again, uh, there's not a lot of wiggle room in a church choir to <laughs> misbehave. So I already had those that ingrained in me, you know, to listen and to behave and to, to really be a good kid. So, um, but I, I, again, I learned a lot, an awful lot in that church choir. And our director was one of the top organists and choir directors in the area. So I looked out there and, oh, I went through my high school years and never really gave a, a thought as to what I should do beyond that until I reached grade 13 and, and had that crossroads. Everyone was figuring out what are they going to do, go to university or what should they take or become. And I didn't have anyone pushing me toward music per se. I had a wonderful vocal music teacher all through high school and did the, uh, you know, the high school musical bit and everything. Um, but she didn't push me in any specific direction and neither did the guidance counselors and neither did my mom. And there might have been a few little things that stopped me from choosing opera or music as my pursuit. Uh, one of which was I was a little nervous to put myself out there as, as a singer and a soloist and I, I didn't think that I had what it took. And back then maybe my theory was weak and I, I was a bit nervous about having to audition for the U of T for the opera school. Um, and another little part of the story is that my father was also an opera singer and his brother was also an opera singer. So uh, we're talking about Victor Braun and his brother William or Bill Richard Braun. That was my dad's stage name was Richard Braun. And so um, I had two cousins, Adi, Adriana and Russell, who were in opera school. They're right around my age. And I would have probably been going to opera school <laughs> right at the same time as them. And I think that I was a little <laughs> intimidated by that, you know. So I left it and I, I left it alone and I chose interior design <laughs> and became Which a designer. I love. Which I love. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good career for me. I spent a good 30 years in, um, mind you, it was corporate real estate interiors. And so I did a lot of real estate planning, long range planning and uh, space planning. I was the global real estate planner for advanced micro devices. You probably heard of them. They're, uh, they make microchips for computers and graphics cards and things. So uh, they were huge and they just continued to grow while I was there. So I was very, very busy, traveled a lot. Um, and then something just gave me a little nudge. Oh, when I met my third husband <laughs> and he, I think he had everything to do with it. If I'm if I'm looking back and being very honest, he never once would hold me back. And so if there was something I decided I wanted to do now or try something different, he would always be very supportive of that and, and say, absolutely, of course you should do that. So I used to say to him, I, I'd really like to try and be a soloist. I was in a great choir back then, um, but I wanted something more out of it. And I finally threw caution to the wind and I thought, what have I got to lose? That's always been my, my kind of go-to phrase is what have I got to lose now? I was 50 years old at the time and I thought, I don't have anything to lose and everything to gain. So I joined a small group that did, um, uh, it's an opera company, but it, they do it as a, a studio or a learning environment and they were producing Carmen so I auditioned for that and I got the part of Frasquita and I just fell in love and I knew that that's what I wanted to do and that I loved being on stage and I I had the soprano voice or so I thought um, so bear in mind this is six seven years ago already just as I was turning 50 yeah um, so we did Carmen, it went really well. There were some bugaboos on stage that I'll never forget either. You know, that <laughs> the mistakes that we make, uh, they stick with you and sometimes they stick hard. Uh, and I, so I did have some self-doubt 
for a little while after that. Oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? And uh, how could I have let that happen or forgotten my words or whatever? Um, and my career is over <laughs> before I even have a career. <laughs> um, but I, I stuck it out. And I continued with lessons. I, I kind of bounced around a bit with lessons at first until I really found somebody that I could work with who would really, uh, that I fit with perfectly. Shannon's one of those people for sure. And there were others as well. But I think that where I benefited the most was with a coach. Um, and yes, I had a lot to learn technically about my voice and I'm still learning that. I feel like I've discovered so much more during the pandemic just about my voice because all I do is sing for myself here in, in my home and I, I experiment with the sounds that I'm making. I don't even really sing music sometimes, just try to make sounds. Um, but so I, I began to work with a coach, Bram Goldhammer is his name, and Bram took me through a ton of repertoire art song, all the Schubert's, you know, everything that, that I should have been learning over the last 20 years, so to speak. And um, he's one of the greatest experts on, on leader in Toronto. So I was so, so lucky to get to work with Bram. And, um, and then things just started to unfold for me. I got began to get invited to sing here and there in a choir uh, as the soloist or even a couple of operas that that were done with a full orchestra. So I got some very great experience early on. And, um, and then I thought, oh, I really feel like I'm not quite on a par with some of these colleagues here. I did three of those operas with orchestra and they were incredible. We did Skiki. We did Hansel and Gretel and uh, Sor Angelica was the third one. They were amazing. Um, but I felt like I had a lot more to learn to just get to even close to the same level as the people that I was working with. A lot of them were opera chorus uh, folks. So they've been around a lot already and had a ton of performance experience and I was still just so, so green. <laughs> so that's when I decided I need to get a degree in music. <laughs> and I began that four years ago, and in three weeks, I'll be done. So, that's wow. it. <laughs> Brava, brava, yeah. diva, brava. <laughs> diva, yeah, thank you. It, it's been an incredible experience, and uh, my go gosh, uh, really difficult at times, very, very stressful, as you all know. And uh, the hardest part for me was the theory, to learn the theory, because I really, as I said, I hadn't had any conservatory. Some of the 20 somethings that were in my class, they just knew, they knew that theory like the back of their hand and they whizzed through the class. I had to work triple hard to get through that workbook and, uh, you know, make sure that I was ready for those tests. Oh my goodness. Um, but the rest of it, I absolutely loved. And I, in particular, loved taking the music history. And so there were two full years of music history with a couple of incredible professors. And, and then the rest of it was uh, electives that I could choose for myself. So I had a lot of fun. I, I learned how to play guitar and did a bunch of other things that were exciting for me. And I also took voice lessons during that time. So I took classical in the first year and I took jazz voice in the second year. And um, I just completed a class, only a uh, one semester class on gospel music. And so uh, I really learned from one of the best in terms of how to deliver gospel as well. So <laughs> it was, uh, it's been a good run. Yeah, now I don't know what I'm going to do next. <laughs> well, so what was it like? I assume you didn't have too many peers that were your age in your classes. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I think there may have been two, possibly three other people in my year who were right around my age group or even possibly a bit older. 
but I didn't have very many classes together with those people because uh, aside from the history and the theory classes, you're kind of on a rotational pick whatever you want. And those two were the compulsory classes. So yeah, I remember seeing them every so often, but um, I connected much more with, with the 20 somethings, you know, uh, just because of by virtue of the fact that I wasn't in classes with those other people, except for maybe one. And uh, my goodness, it was so eye-opening. I have to tell you, I have two kids of my own and I'm, I've always been proud of them and I knew that they could do a lot of stuff. But here I was seeing the 20s, 20 somethings in a whole new light, an incredible amount of talent was there. And they were also really kind of uh, supportive of me in their classroom and uh, they would help me when I got stuck, but I would also help them. So there were things that I had that were strengths and vice versa. And we, we worked with each other like that. And I think <laughs> I became kind of like the mom of the group. And uh, a lot of them would ask me, what's our homework? When is the test? And how are you studying for this and that? And I would proofread things for people or even help them with their final essays just to make sure the flow was there. I think writing is one of the hardest things for some of the young people to uh, to deal with, to get those essays out there. So I was happy to get to help them that way. Well, um, writing about music is really hard. Yes, it is. If you, if you uh, especially if you don't know a lot about theory, it's really hard to put into words what you want to express about why does this music sound a certain way yeah. and, uh, and, and make it correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I still struggle with that. Even having learned, you know, how to tell, for example, um, the difference between which mode we're in as opposed mm -hmm. to a key signature and to, to explain that I know we learned that in first year and it's been such a whirlwind since then that I have to, I have to dig back through all my paperwork and go, Oh yeah, that's how you do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sure you were an inspiration to them and very helpful to have, you know, you bring, as you said, different strengths and weaknesses and the wisdom of all the years that I would be a totally different person in music school. Now, <laughs> if you could turn back time, would you have done it differently? Would you have gone? Oh, that is such a big question. Um, I really do have, when I look back, I have regrets about the choice that I made at the time. So I think that, yes, I wish I could go back and I would have done it. I would have chosen opera school way back when, instead, knowing what I know now. Um, just because, and I, I try to think sometimes, what would my life have been like if I had done that? back then where would I be now as a singer instead and I still feel like I have a whole lot of catching up to do to get to the level that I'd like to be singing at or to the 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 venues that I'd like to be performing in you know they'll come I hope um, but yeah I feel like I'm behind <laughs> so I wish I could go back and have changed things but by the same token I've had a very full life and um, and now I'm I'm winding down my my corporate career and I'm finishing school and none of us know what's going to happen in the future because of the pandemic. So I feel like, huh, maybe the playing field is just it's there for everybody now. It's kind of the same and um, yeah, that, it's going to be very interesting to see how things shake out for all the singers and performers once we seem to get a semblance of order back into the world. Mm -hmm. You also, I'll let Denise have a turn. I, go ahead, Denise. Oh, I was just going to say, you said winding down your, winding, winding down your corporate career. Mm -hmm. so you're still doing that. Yes. I'm working part-time as a consultant. Wow. And, uh, so when I began school four years ago, I was still working as a consultant and almost full time. And in the first year, I worked through the whole year. 
I took the year off of work in second year and I only kept one client. So I guess I was still working technically. And then in third year, I took back on some projects. And then this year I've, I've only had that one same client. So, so you've uh, been in school full time. Yes. You weren't taking it slow, like taking a class here and taking a car. You went to school full time. Okay. okay. So, yeah. wow. I can't imagine uh, because I teach full time, but I'm also pursuing another graduate degree. Wow. And, you know, a graduate degree is not a full time. I mean, undergrad, that's like 16 hours of being in class or 18 or so. Mm -hmm. And with, with graduate, at least it's six or nine, you know, right. it's not as much. And I can't see myself coming or going. So I can't imagine <laughs> like working and then trying to do an undergraduate class or degree in four years while you're also working for a corporation yeah damn kira damn. that's why i said brava diva why all i can say is damn oh. two ways of saying the same thing <laughs> i love it i need to get a bit of more damn in my life um I, i'll qualify that by saying that i didn't have to be anywhere other than my desk at home in order to do the work that I was doing when I when I was still working. So on a consultancy basis, uh, just before I started university, I was project managing some very big construction projects. One of them was a call center for Capital One Bank. And that required me to be on site and in amongst the trades and meeting with the designers and, and you know, dealing with the mechanical electrical engineers. But after that, because I'm self-employed, I was able to find work that was desk-based and home-based. So, um, and, and it was, you know, honestly, a notch or two down from project management, you can uh, require a certain hourly rate. And then if you're working at home and you're just kind of doing it by rote, then it's a lesser rate per hour, but it paid the bills. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it really helped me get through. And, um, and now, yeah, I feel like I'm semi-retired. In my mind, I'm semi-retired from that. And I would really like to finally be able to focus on my music and, um, and do more singing. I, I don't sing every day. And I feel like that's what I should be aiming for in my daily life. Um, when you talk about mindfulness, it's like, oh, I need to make a point of bringing singing into my life, almost the way that we might look at yoga. And I'm thinking about becoming a yoga instructor right now as well. So I want to uh, explore that a little further as well. But yeah, I've always felt like, oh, singing is at the rock bottom of my list of things to do today. And I never fit it in as often as I'd like to. And I, I feel like it should be every day, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So perhaps now that I'm finished school and I'm only working part-time that I can somehow make a schedule or make it part of my daily life that that is inherent to my life, that is going to happen without even really thinking about it, that it's something that I do, I just do. Um, I, I've put a few albums out there also. I don't know if, if you've seen them at all, but I have. I have. Um, oh, mm -hmm. have you? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I have a wonderful colleague that he and I uh, do art song together and we, we are just releasing our seventh album together uh, this month. And I have another CD that I did with my cousin Adi's wife and a cellist that I thought was wonderful. So we did some Andre Previn stuff and uh, that went really well. So I like being in the recording studio too. So, you know, that's, uh, that's also kept me busy on the side as well. So, yeah. You so made what the would comment. you? No, go ahead, Tony. Mm -hmm. uh, you made the comment when you were telling your story about going back to school and everything. And you said, I thought I was a soprano. What did you mean by that? Oh, um, well, I've always been a soprano. I, oh, I think that what I might have said was, I thought that I could sing. <laughs> and when I when I started, you know, it's one thing to have a voice and a singing voice. And then it's another thing to uh, really learn how to use that voice. And um, 
when you're 50 years old and you think you have a voice and then someone sits you down and, and they say, well, you're kind of there, but you're not there yet. And, and this is what we need to work on. Um, I had someone put it to me um, earlier than this. And this was, this was my aunt whom I love dearly. And she had nothing but kindness in her heart when she said it to me. Um, and I didn't know how I felt about it. I, I might've felt a little bit upset, but what she said was, you have a voice and it's pretty but you're singing on the surface, right? Mm. And you probably know exactly what that means. And I yeah. didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I thought, well, then I, I, I'm not good at this, right? Um, but what she meant was that I need to find more of my power down here. Mm -hmm. And instead of having all this throat and neck tension, you know, figure out how to loosen it up in my head. And so I have worked with I worked with her initially uh, for a little while and that was great. And then I found that it was time to move to another voice teacher. So I've tried a few, as I mentioned, and mm -hmm. I feel like after six, seven, eight years of off, uh, that I finally, I finally get what they're saying and I finally have that support. Uh, and I know there's tons more work to do that I can still grow my voice. Um, so yes, I've changed from a, a light little on the surface soprano to one with, uh, I think quite a lot more substance. And so um, you might say, I'm, I'm no longer a light lyric soprano, but I'm more of a, a lyric soprano or full lyric is on its way. I know that I'll never be a dramatic soprano. I just don't have a big voice and that kind of repertoire is too much for me. So I prefer the, the lighter repertoire. So, yeah, but it took me a lot of um, soul searching to figure out, well, and not be hurt by, uh, by those comments when they were always, as I said, straight from the heart, always well-meaning, always only wanting to help me. So I get it now. I get what they mean. And, uh, and I know that, you know, the next thing is, okay, so you've learned to sing, you're no longer just a pretty little voice, but you can actually really bring that substance. The next thing that, that I'm even working on right now is delivery of lyrics with all of the feeling and uh, texture and color that they deserve, you know, and, um, so all of the emotion, I'm working a lot more on that now, even. So if you were going to um, <clears throat> tell someone who is like, I, you know what, I think I want to sing and I'm 48 years old. I've had a whole other career, but I really love singing when I was young, kind of your basic story. Mm -hmm. What what would you what would you tell them? What advice would you give them? What have you learned along the way that you wish someone had told you at the time? Well, I feel like we're never too old to start to learn something new. Amen. To, yes. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's so much within us that we don't tap into. Uh, to explore and to try and you know there's this this uh, scientific approach that we only use 10% of our brain well can you imagine if we tapped into more of that uh, so I would never discourage someone from saying something like that or wanting to give it a shot um, if they asked me to teach them I might say well I'm not the person to do that I'm not a, a voice teacher and I don't think that I ever will teach voice um, but I could certainly direct them to <laughs> a few wonderful people so yes I would always encourage someone to to try it and there are a ton of avenues to uh, use our voices in that don't have to be competitive or you know, you don't have to be a headline performer in order to find joy in what you're doing. So yeah, if you want to sing, absolutely. I think, I think I, I feel like everyone can sing. Everyone does have a voice. So 
I feel like we can all sing unless there's some really uh, difficult problems in terms of understanding tonality and finding a tone. I think that we all have a singing voice. And so, um, yeah, I think that everyone should try to sing if that's what they want to do. Beautiful. You said yep. something I wanted to, to um, affirm and just say that was beautiful when you said, I had to realize that what they were saying was to help me mm. and not take it personally and to grow through that. And you mentioned in our chatting about the podcast, you weren't sure. And I said, I think it takes an awful lot of mindfulness and awareness to do what you've done. And what you just said is a beautiful example of that. And so I hope, I, I can't imagine our listeners aren't going to be inspired by your story. So mm. thank you for your vulnerability to share it with us, for your courage. And um, I'm, I'm inspired. So mm -hmm. that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I think singing is a very uh, human, subjective, difficult thing to to do and to manage through emotionally and um <clears throat> if you let it it can ruin you uh in terms of those mistakes say say you make a mistake in a performance and you allow yourself to beat yourself up over that mistake and never can move on past it or if somebody says something to you that is less than complimentary and you take it to heart, um, or even just the way you think about how you sound when you're practicing at home by yourself, if you think it's not good enough and you allow that thought to creep in to all of your other mindset about singing, somehow you have to be able to lift yourself out of those negative thoughts and always think about singing positively because um, we all know you cannot sing if you're feeling emotionally choked up about something or you know god forbid depression is it would be so difficult to rise out of that and and find your singing voice i think for a lot of people um mind you singing can be very therapeutic too and i i absolutely found that i would forget my daily life when I'd go to those choir practice, two, two choir practices, two and three hour long practices, and um, it was like a whole other world for me. I left everything behind and came out of there high as a kite because I was just so thrilled with having used my voice and being making music with other people. Um, so yes, yeah, singing is hugely psychological. Um, I had a ton of difficulty even just I hate to say it now, a year and a half ago almost since my last performance on stage. Um, and, and it was the biggest one of my career so far. I was the guest soloist on um, with the Salvation Army for their Christmas gala concert at Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto. And I was so nervous. I, I was still in school and I was cramming through exams and the concert was in December, of course. So it was all happening at once. And my brain was telling me, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I, I had to get help. I had to find somebody who could actually sit me down and say, you have all the tools, you've done all the work, you, you have the voice and you have the personality for the stage, you have everything that they want, they wouldn't have hired you otherwise. And here's how we're gonna work on your mindset in order to get you there. And after, I think maybe four sessions, all done over the phone with this lovely lady named Paula Wickberg, Paula helped me figure out that, yeah, I did have what it took. And um, I didn't need to think of myself as less lesser than anybody else and that it wasn't about anyone else I didn't have to compete or feel that way uh, and so I just somehow stepped on stage and and did it <laughs> but yeah if we let our minds talk us down it's so powerful and uh, so I think there's there's a lot to be said for figuring out what's in our heads um, before we set about a singing goal Yep, self-talk. <laughs> yeah. And it can either be great 
or it can be, it can be the, it can kind of undo us for sure. Absolutely. So Kira, if people want uh, to hear you, to be inspired even more by your great story, where can they follow you? Oh, they can find me on Facebook. Kira Braun Soprano is my page. And I also have a website, same thing, kirabraunsoprano.com. Um, and all of the music I've done with Peter Krochak and Linda Ippolito and Kirk Starkey is on iTunes and on Spotify and just about every other platform globally that you can put it out there on. So yeah, we're all over, all over the web. That's great. That's Beautiful. Great. Thank you. Well, well I thank you for sharing your story with us. <laughs> thank you for having we, me. We help our listeners who are like, you know, I like to sing and and, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm really interested in mindfulness, but I also really like to sing and they're not professional singers and, you know, they don't have music degrees or whatever. I, I hope their, your story gives them some inspiration, maybe not to go back to school or try to be a soloist, but to, to just go ahead and, and em, embrace singing, the singing process in their life, maybe joining a community choir or their church choir and just enjoy being using their voice yeah. uh, in, in a healthy productive um happy way mm -hmm. so thank you for thank for you that for thanks for sharing it. and thanks for encouraging all of us ladies that and men who can do anything <laughs> at any age no matter what singing or otherwise yeah. go for it Exactly. Exactly. The yes. sky's the limit, right? Yeah. I, I loved your, I wrote it down. In fact, if you noticed, I was stopped for a moment. You said, what have I got to lose mm -hmm. and the possibility of everything to gain? So when yeah. we're questioning why or not, that's a great question to ask. So mm -hmm. exactly. Thank why you not? for sharing your beautiful soul with us. Have a beautiful day and yeah. Thank, thank you, Kira. Thank you. thank you both. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and I hope your days are beautiful too. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. We are very grateful that you joined us today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, write a review, share it with a friend.